Welcome to Literary Friction. I'm Octavia Bright, here with my co-host Carrie Plitt. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Octavia. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's so beautiful and sunny today, and I'm so happy about it. I know, it's the best thing in the entire world. Doesn't it make you feel like running sand between your fingers and your toes? Yes, although then I start thinking about how annoying it is to have sand like in your shoes and oh, things like on. that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best. It's the best. Yeah. I don't know. We can talk about this later, but I, I have mixed feelings about the beach. Wow. Mm. That's a very big statement, Kai Flip. Well, I feel like controversial. I, <laughs> I feel like I don't Friction. know who you are anymore. <laughs> so welcome to Minnesota 5. If this is your first time listening, the format for these mini-sodes between full shows is, for the next half hour-ish, we're going to have an informal conversation about something book-related and anything else that might come up, and then also recommend some other cultural things that we've enjoyed lately, with, of course, the usual musical interludes chosen by Eddie. Thanks, Eddie. That's right. Um, and now that the summer is very much on the horizon, we're dedicating this mini-sode to the joys of beach reading. So stay tuned for some optimistic fantasizing about long sunny days with nothing to do but read and snooze and swim and eat burrata and nectarines and whatever else you like to eat on the beach. That's a very fancy vision of, I know, of it's beach fancy, eating. It? <laughs> I mean, it sounds delicious, but I don't think I've ever had burrata on a beach. I've never had burrata on a beach either, and I don't know if it would be wise. And I feel like I've had a nectarine on a beach before and almost got stung by a wasp as a result. So, mm. But let's go with a th- Fantasy. Yes, fantasy. yes, fantasy. it's all about fantasy. Yeah. We're feeling very into escapism at the moment, so please indulge us while we have a think about reading in hot places, in baking sunshine, in moments where there's nothing else to do. Um, this actually feels a bit like an extension of the guilty pleasures conversation we had in the last minute, doesn't it? Yeah. But this time I think we're placing even more emphasis on pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> no guilt. Right. No guilt. Absolutely no guilt. Just the good feelings, please, everyone. Um, so let me set the scene for you, Carrie, who mm-hmm. feels ambivalent about beaches. You're lying on a soft towel on hot sand. Ugh, no, I'm just <laughs> You can feel the warmth of the sand through the towel. It's giving you some kind of like full body massage experience. You can smell the salty sea air mixed with that singular silky coconutty smell of sun cream. Mm. The gentle sound of waves in the distance is a soothing backdrop as you drift into the world of the book in your hands. On this ideal beach, there are no screaming children. There are no flies or wasps or dropped ice creams, just hot sun no burning glittering sea you your book wait this is like desert island disc yeah now, it is. <laughs> you your I'm book about to recommend my favorite track right and one luxury item yeah um but anyway what is it that comes to mind apart from all that beautiful stuff when i say beach read do you have a favorite kind of book to read on the beach do you have a favorite beach reading memory um are there any books you definitely wouldn't take like Loads of questions. Yeah, loads of questions. First of all, that vision of a beach seems very great to me. I just feel like the beach in our minds versus the beach in reality is always different. Profound philosophy yeah. from Carrie Plitt. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. As, I, I, as is true in life. Yeah, I exactly. Suppose. No, you have a very, it's a it's a wise point, but I, I remain relentlessly optimistic about beaches. Mm, mm, mm. And generally I like them, but also... When I talk about beach reading, I'm often talking about reading that I do like on a lounger under a very good umbrella because (laughs) when exposed to the sun, I either immediately fall asleep or immediately burn. Right. Um, So your conditions are specific. Yes, exactly. But anyway, let's get back to the topic at hand. But I think you'd like a beach in Italy. Beaches in Italy tend to have loungers and umbrellas on them that you rent. 
Yeah, that might be my vibe. I think you'd be into that. I'm used to New England beaches, which are sort of free-for-alls, um, and there aren't enough nice days a year for people not to get very possessive of their space. Yeah, I, sound, I mean, that sounds like beaches here, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. So, beach reads. Beach read, at least in the industry, definitely has commercial connotations. Right. So, I think when you say that to somebody who works in publishing, you tend to think of probably a lighter book, probably something that the plot is really easy to read. It's probably very gripping. It might be a sort of thriller or a romance. Yeah, and I think of it as being sexy, right? Yeah, of often often sexy. And I think the idea behind the term beach read comes from this idea that it's a book that you pick up, you read for a while, it's really engrossing, and then you go like bathe yourself in the sea and come back to the book. And it's something you can sort of pick up and put down and enjoy your vacation and, and have a great time. And it's also this idea that when people are on the beach, they want to read about sort of beachy things. So they want to read about you know, villas in Italy um, where you meet the man of your dreams or something like that. Well, I guess it's a, t- it's a time when you're not going to feel envious of the character in the book because you're actually experiencing something quite proximate. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. Like reading about, reading about fabulous Italian holidays in the middle of deep midwinter in England. Maybe for some people that's pure escapism. I think for me, it just makes me feel depressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but for me, beach reading has always been something slightly different, which is that I'm sure I've talked on the show about how much I love reading on holiday because really in a time when I work nine to five and have to go into the office every day, it's the only time I get sustained time to just sit with a book and read it. And I can read a book all day. I can really, really become engrossed in a book without having to worry about anything else in my life. And it is such a joy and a pleasure to be able to do that. And so I just look forward to beach reading so much. But what I think of as beach reading is books that are really engrossing that I want to completely give myself over to. And that can be many different things. It can be a sort of fun thriller or it can be a classic that I've been wanting to read forever. I mean, I really can't read long classics before bed every night because I just lose interest in them and I can't sustain interest. Whereas on the beach, you know, I'm, I'm planning to read Portrait of a Lady next time I go away, which people keep recommending to me. We'll see if that's actually good but or or something that's a little bit more experimental I mean I read um Emer McBride a girl is a half-formed thing I think when I was on holiday and that felt really important to completely immerse myself in the voice mm, definitely yeah that's such a powerful book and you I read that in one well two sittings but like I gave myself to it I wasn't on holiday but um that's definitely a book that it would be hard to read just in spurts I think yeah I don't know it's funny I I quite like to read light stuff on the beach Mm. um I like to read about beaches (laughs) on the beach (laughs) I do I do I mean I also like to read about murder on the beach I definitely have read a lot of um really sticky crime sounds like a cocktail yeah it does murder on the beach (laughs) for sober people only (laughs) um but I yeah well when I was thinking about this I realized the last book I read on a beach was about beaches. Um, it was Melissa Broder's The Pisces, which is a fantastic read um, and, and kind of the perfect beach read for me in that it was, uh, it's a seaside tale anyway. It's about a woman who falls in love with a merman who is anatomically like able to be a good lover. So his tail begins below Phew. the, <laughs> the ball sack. Um, yeah. And uh he appears to be her ideal man apart from he's pot fish and then things get complicated. But it's it's like clever and funny and I, I banged on about it on the show anyway. But it felt like a really appropriate thing. I was reading it on the beach when I was living in Margate over the summer last year. 
it was a powerful, completely sub- immersive beach reading experience. But I wasn't on holiday. I was mm. like in my life. Yeah, but then there's like, I was trying to think. I haven't been on many beach holidays for a long time. Um, so my really powerful associations of reading on beaches are actually from when I was much younger. Mm. And it would be... Uh, yeah, a lot of crime fiction. I read the beginning of Stieg Larsson's trilogy on a beach because mm. I found it in the hotel I was staying in and then that was just like, bam. And also for me, like beach holidays when I was younger, it was from about escaping from my family. Um, so I didn't want to read books that were about family drama. <laughs> I did not want to get into classics at all. I wanted like escapist literature and things that were pacey and things that were really engrossing. But I think... Yeah, I think it's it's kind of a snobby term as well, isn't it? Oh, definitely. And like yeah. definitely, definitely gendered as well. I feel like a beach read is something that's very much directed towards women. Um, yeah, and, and sort like, of repackaged with a cover with yeah. like a sexy woman on the front with sun and... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I said, the Olivia Lang's Crudo is coming out as a paperback and they've slightly rebranded that. It's got a picture of a woman on a swimming pool, in a swimming pool in front. Um, and I've seen some marketing that's been like, perfect beach read which I think is interesting because it feels quite ironic does not well it fits my definition of beach read but certainly not what we've been talking about right exactly but it's clever marketing yeah because actually it does exactly what you want in a beach read it's really engrossing it's quick to read it's like about someone who's kind of on holiday it's funny and then you and then you're done (laughs) yeah well I think as often discovered on the show Beach read is a term that when you start to investigate it, it slips through your fingers like sand from a beach. There you go. She's back. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't mean much, does it? Um, should I tell you about my most powerful beach read? Yes, please. Um, so I think I've even talked about this on the show before because I think it was one of the most transformative reading experiences of my life. And I really say that with all seriousness. Um, it was when I read The End of the Affair by Graham Greene when mm-hmm. I was in Spain. I actually read it beside a pool, so please forgive me, not quite a beach read, but I think of them in the same category. But it's a short book. Um, I'd been reading to read it for ages. I really liked Grim Green, but I but I hadn't gotten around to it, and I brought it on holiday, and I started it in the morning and finished it in the evening. I don't think I'd eaten anything. I, don't th- I can't remember going to the bathroom. It was like I consumed it, and then I finished it and felt like I was vibrating in its fictional world like I I kind of can't explain it besides the fact that I felt so intensely sort of affected and changed by the book that I couldn't even I I mean I think it was quite annoying for Eddie because I couldn't talk to him I felt so intensely moved by this book um a book which is not a beach read in the traditional sense in that it's set in the blitz and like about Catholicism and love and like it's foggy most of the time as as far as I can remember but I don't think I would have had that intense reaction to the book if I hadn't read it outside by myself with no other distractions yeah yeah I think you're right I read it after you because you were so rapturous about it and and I enjoyed it but I didn't have that kind of an experience of it at all it's such a it's such a unique way of consuming a story isn't it and like you said like being outside that's I mean that's part of it isn't it Mm. like when are you ever outside for a sustained amount of time like you know not affected by the interior spaces that you end up having to spend so much of your life in there's something just transformative for your mind about that isn't there just like feeling the air on your skin and you're not bogged down by the daily world around you I think it can somehow free up 
imaginative space almost. I think that's probably true. And you just feel more connected as well. Yeah, I think with so everything. Um, yeah. Is there anything you wouldn't bring to the beach? Oh, honey, I mean, so much. But there's one, <laughs> there's one that I that I've kind of almost taken on holiday with me a few times and then go at on. the last minute like chuck it out of my bag and go don't be insane why are you punishing yourself um which is this huge biography of the lives of, of Gilles Deleuze and Felix Guattari who are a couple of theorists who I love and I'm very attached to and I've always wanted to find out more about them they wrote together co-writing is a crazy experience I think and not very many people do it um and they were both pretty far out guys in their different ways and I started reading the, this biography mm, three years ago and uh, was really drawn into certain details but like come on let's be real it's very fucking hard going <laughs> it's not particularly enlightening and well no enlightening is the wrong word it's not enlivening um also Deleuze turns out to have been a very disappointing man um like as a human being he was mm. kind of a bastard which is a shame um so that that also i don't want to be disappointed in my beach read you know <laughs> i don't want to be learning stuff that makes me feel sad um i want to be moved for sure but not maybe it's i don't want to be in reality so a biography let alone a like kind of politicized biography about a couple of very intense theorists is not my jam but if it was Guattari was a really interesting guy and he ran this clown school in his clinic because he thought that the um, performance was a way of getting people out of certain forms of psychosis. If someone wrote a novel about that, I'm there. That's my beach read. I want to do it. I want to know. It was socialist. It was completely mad. Charlie Chaplin's daughter came and ended up marrying this mad hatter who was there. Like the whole thing sounds amazing. But the way of writing about it in this very dry historical biographical way is not my beach read. So, you know, I think I, think I don't want to be... I don't want to be locked into my intellect when I'm reading mm. in that kind of a space. I completely agree. Yeah. Um, I want to be I, in my body. I want yeah. to be in my feelings. You know, I mean, that my so my poolside reading experience that's similar to your um, Graham Greene was reading The Argonauts by Maggie Nelson, which a friend of mine gave me. We were in Tuscany. I mean, it was this extraordinary trip for her birthday. Um, and... Uh, She'd brought it back from the States. It was before it was published over here. And she was just like, I've got this book. I'm gonna, you're going to love it. And she pressed it into my hands and it had this amazing hot pink cover. And I was just like, okay. And I started reading it. And it was it was the perfect pitch for me. And it was the perfect sort of mixture of real emotional narrative, joy and pleasure. And like it sparked my intellect, but it didn't demand anything from it. And I... I read it in the two days that we were there, but I was I was able to like put it down to go and have lunch with everyone. It wasn't like wrenching myself away from mm. something. You know, it was perfect. It was really perfect. But also like you having that experience of reading it in this kind of very beautiful setting where nothing was demanded of me. I mean, my meals were being kind of provided by these friends who were cooking and it was heaven. And I think the book will always be extra special because of that, uh, you know, the surroundings in which I read it. Yeah, I completely agree about not wanting to be locked into intellect. I think you do like theory more than I do, but I would, <laughs> I would never, I would never take a book of theory on holiday. But actually, when I think about it, I really don't often take nonfiction on holiday unless it's narrative nonfiction. And I think it's because I really want to have an emotional experience mm. with the book that I'm reading. I don't mind whether it's escapist or sort of sad or intense, but I always want to have that intense emotional connection to a book um and I don't think a a history book or or a sort of dry biography would give you that even though I love reading those books in other contexts Mm -hmm. um it's just not what I'm looking for when I'm by the pool and I 
I, or the beach <laughs> when I'm by Carrie's the pool 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 reads um, <laughs> uh, and I'm trying to figure out why that is I well while you're thinking I'm going to tell you something else that I've realized just while listening to you which is that I definitely don't want to feel sad when I'm reading mm. on a beach I do not I do not want to feel sad I don't like I said I really don't mind being I want to be moved but I don't want to be shattered so I really don't want to read a devastating beautiful work of genius that's going to like rock me to my core I do, I'm not interested in that when I'm in that setting I do really yeah hmm interesting <laughs> <laughs> I think I feel more open to it I feel more ready to sort of deal with it as well mm. but I also think uh, correct me if I'm wrong but as we've learned through being friends for a long time and being on the show together is you sometimes just feel things more intensely than I do so yeah. for me that kind of experience feels like important and cathartic whereas for you it can sometimes be a little overwhelming totally and so you're protecting yourself a bit whereas I'm sort of ready to venture into those spaces yeah completely also I feel like that a lot of the time anyway so holidays are like a holiday from that too mm, yes <laughs> if they can be you know yeah yeah Interesting. You know, the other thing I very rarely take on holiday with me are, are books of poetry. And I love reading poetry. But um, when I'm in that beach mind frame space, it's just not what I choose to take with me. Me neither. But I don't really read poetry, so... <laughs> I feel like such a philistine admitting that. I think it's fine. Hello, welcome back to Literary Friction, Minnesota 5. Carrie and I are back here to give you some more recommendations of things that are not reading that we've been into lately. So Carrie, what have you been up to? Well, I am going to recommend a documentary called Paris is Burning. Oh my God, I love that. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Which I, I had not seen until very recently and I'd been meaning to watch since I first heard about it when I was a teenager, really. But, for, but you know, it was hard to find and I never, I, I just never quite got around to watching it but then I realized it was on Netflix mm -hmm. in the UK which is amazing so I, I just watched it and um, just for background for people who don't know it it's a documentary released in 1990 about the ball culture in New York City and the African-American Latino gay and transgender communities involved in this scene um, it's a really riveting document of the scene and um, the, the, the scene itself introduced words like shade and voguing into the wider culture. It's just these amazing performances and interviews and, and all of those things. Um, and I think one of the things that inevitably comes out of watching this documentary is how often the culture appropriates gay culture and the culture of people of color who then get totally effaced from it and nobody realizes that that these are the like creative communities that have come up with these ideas um, and these words and these ways of being. Um, I read up on it afterwards and there is some controversy surrounding the documentary from actually a number of different sides. So it was made by an outsider on the scene who is a young woman who was a film student when she first started making it. And there have been charges of cultural appropriation. A number of people who are featured in the documentary sued for part of the profits. Um, wow, I didn't know which that. Which was settled, but I think seems to be still quite raw and unresolved. Um, 
And, you know, people like Bell Hooks have have said that it prizes white femininity above all other ways of being. You know, I think Judith Butler has commented on the ways that it looks at gender. And so it's definitely not problematic. Um, But I was so glad to have watched it, not least because it's been so influential um, in in terms of how we think about documentaries, um, but also introducing the scene into the world that has had such an effect on on our culture today yeah it's an incredible it's an incredible window into that world yes I watched it a long time ago and um was not aware of any of that controversy around it but thinking about it yes the the charge of it prioritizing white femininity is something I can definitely see even from my memory of it I'd have to watch it again to really get into that. Yeah. Those I'd criticisms, w- watch sure it again. I, I, to, I feel yeah. like I need to watch it again. I've been wanting to actually, because, you know, Pose um, is uh, a show about similar community, which yes. I watched the first episode of, and it seems to be fucking brilliant, but I haven't had the time to catch up with the rest of it. But when I watched that, the first episode of that, I thought, oh my God, this makes me want to watch Paris is Burning again. Yeah, and people talking about Pose was actually the thing that reminded me that I wanted to see this and sought it out so um but I'm, I'm desperate to watch Pose I haven't watched it yet oh yeah it's so great the first scene they steal costumes from the Brooklyn Museum and it's just yeah it's amazing great how um, about you I uh I went to a bunch of things actually this month which which made it a little bit hard to choose but I decided to recommend Kathy Acker um, the Kathy Acker exhibition which is at the ICA it's called I I I I I I I um and it's great. It's so great. She's been having a bit of a cultural moment um, in the last kind of three or four years. And so it m- feels really important to have a collection of, of her work where you can go and pour over it, um, displayed not through the veneer of somebody else's ideas, if that makes sense. Because, you know, there's the Chris Krauss biography and then obviously Olivia Lang um, kind of appropriates Kathy Acker and her book Crudo and... Uh, there have been a few other things, but this was just this wonderful chance to see some Kathy without being... I mean, obviously, you're being mediated by the institution, but um, it's the first exhibition I've seen of an artist who was so so much also a writer, more a writer possibly than a visual artist, where they prioritise the writing. They kind of get the balance right. So um, there are big dividers that actually are just whole walls of text from her books. She was so obsessed with and committed to kind of getting to the idea of an essential self. Um, And you get a sense of that in this exhibition. You get a sense of the frenzy of it and the profound desire and kind of the impossible nature of that need and desire. But also I think one of my favourite things was seeing all of her books displayed uh, in cabinets with all her notes in the margins and she writes all over them. And I think often the obsession with I hate this word, marginalia, hate it, hate it. For some reason, it really, really? presses my buttons. Yeah, I, do, I don't know. There's something about it I find very pretentious. It's just, I think grouping it like that, it seems very fetishizing and elevating in a way that I, and pompous in a way that I don't like. Everyone writes in the margins of their books. Um, you know, it's kind of, I don't know. It, it presses my buttons, probably in an unreasonable way. Um, but here, it feels completely brilliant because Kathy Acker is a writer who um you know her practice is about reappropriating text from other writers so seeing her scrawls all over as well is it feels like a big part of her practice as a writer and as an artist um but also I just got a really cute huge kick out of the fact that we have a very similar library (laughs) (laughs) um especially the gender theory and feminist literature that she was into and it was really fun to see her 
writing in the sides because it's really similar to the stuff that I have written in mine because it is a universal way of responding to these ideas, like things that are just catastrophically unfair or catastrophically unjust or, you know, excitingly new. I think most people reading those books respond in the same way. And it made me think of what Chris Krause wrote in her biography of Acker. And she was quoting another woman artist, and I can't remember her name, um, so forgive me. But this other woman said, we are all Kathy. And it's kind of the conclusion Krause comes to in the book as well. And it's also where this exhibition lands, I think, because even though Kathy Acker was a person who lived in a really extreme way and she was truly countercultural and she was a punk and she was not at all like most of us in the way that she inhabited the daily her daily life there's also such a huge amount of what drove her that I think we can all identify with and she's somebody who took a lot of those very universal feelings to really really extreme places but when you when you're faced with her work in this in this way I just think it really gets to a sense of that where you're just like yeah I want those things too and I'm frustrated by how hard they are to have or um you know what these I'm also trying to figure out what everything means you know Mm. and what desire is and it's on for a while so great yeah I really recommend it I went to lunch at the ICA the other day but got one of those stickers that means that you're not going to the exhibition <laughs> you're just going to lunch so I like actively chose not to go to the Kathy Acker exhibition I'm sorry but I'm not not so really. disappointed in you I didn't so have time disappointed in you. I'll go back I'll go see you it. should go back it's also yeah. only four pounds okay which I think is brilliant um the other thing I wanted to shout out was uh, the Cut on Tuesdays podcast, which I know you yes. have also been really Yeah, enjoying. well, you turned me on to it. Oh, thanks, babe. <laughs> <laughs> it's great, everyone. It's really great. It's just yeah. like a very lovely weekly listen. Have you listened to their latest episode about springtime horniness? No. It's so good. Okay. It's so good. It's about that the, the time in spring when everyone starts wearing shorter clothes and what horniness means and like how it's about being attracted to something that's not obvious. Mm. Um, but how you act on that. It's it's really good. Okay. It's really good. And it really picks apart horniness. It takes it takes horniness seriously, which I loved. It's something to be taken yeah. seriously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't wait to listen to that. Um, and the other thing I, I did that I also just want to shout out is I went to the opening of a really fantastic new bookshop um, called Pages of Cheshire Street, which is uh, run by the same people who have Pages of Hackney. And this is a magical, beautiful space just off Brick Lane because it's dedicated only to books by women and non-binary people. And it felt so exciting to walk into a space that's just wall-to-wall, supposedly marginal writing, you know, when you when you realise it's not that marginal anymore. Um, I mean, obviously, in the grand scheme of publishing, it is. But it's just exciting that there are more and more spaces opening up that are just confirming that... Um, there is this massive multiplicity of voices that are not the standard and you can buy them <laughs> and you should. Great. Um, and you should not be buying them from Amazon. You should buy them from independent booksellers. Seconded full-heartedly. Yeah. that's all the time we have for today big thanks to paula at nts and to eddie knight for editing and music literary friction is available as a podcast to download on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts and to stream on nts.live you can check us out on twitter and instagram you can also get in touch with us on email litfriction at gmail.com we'll be back in two weeks with a full hour-long show featuring another author interview until then i'm octavia bright here with carrie plitt and this is literary friction 